the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, as always, Rachel Gardner. Rachel, I was going to say my long-term friend, <laughs> but um, I was thinking the other day how we weren't friends for a long time. You say it as if we had some animosity. I think we might have had beef. beef. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I was, I don't know if I haven't mentioned this recently, but I used to be editor of Youthwork magazine. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I brought that up before? <laughs> and uh, no one even knows what Youth magazine is now, of course, because it, it became Premier Youth and Children's Work magazine online. I think we could imagine what youth. But it was a youth. I, was I, it's hard to imagine, but if you can imagine a youth work magazine, uh, then you probably got it. And uh, and you used to write for it, didn't you? I think I did. I don't think it was in your time though. No. It, I had a little column that I used to do in, in, in the days before it crumbled. You and did burned. have a. You did have a. a didn't hmm. you have a, a column called Gardener's World? Was it called that? Oh, I think I did. Yes. Yeah. Oh dear! But I no, but know. we. What's weird for me is we weren't friends no. for a, like a long a time. A long time. And I, I wonder now what that was about. Because we would have been in the same circle. What as did well. you, you? What did you think of me, Rachel? Well, I don't. I, don't th- I mean, I think I mainly saw you in a puffer coat in the corner of rooms. I just remember you wearing very big puffy coats. Did you? Somehow that that rocky start was salvaged. Yeah. And, maybe and we're hoping it was that that will be a metaphor for this yeah. episode. But maybe that was youth ministry that brought us together because oh, I think it yes. was the early days of youth at the conference. Yeah. And there was a point at which I'm not sure why I was flung into that space, but there was a few of us that kind of with you know the wonderful Jill Rose of this yeah. world and others, Nick Shepherd and Jenny Baker and. And, and Jim Partridge, all these names. Some of you might remember yeah. these names. Or, uh, or not. Uh, and so we spent two weeks, one one weekend in Eastbourne and one weekend yeah. in Southport. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. Ma- that's maybe where our, we laid down our weapons yeah. and we became friends. Well, I remember the worst thing I've ever said to you was at Youth Work, <laughs> oh, the conference, because no. you came off stage oh, no. and you, you were very nice about it at the time, but I'm sure it upset you. You came off stage and uh, you'd just spoken on the May session. And what amazed me about you, because I'd never really uh, gathered this before, is you're actually very intelligent. <laughs> we talk about this sometimes on the podcast as a matter of some surprise for all of us, <laughs> that you're actually very smart and yet you, you do cultivate a slightly ditzy persona, right? Is that true? Uh, well, I don't think I, I even intelligently cultivate okay. it. I think it just happens. It pops out. <laughs> just anyway, pops out, really. so you came off the stage and I, and I, you walked past me and you felt so unattainable to me because we weren't friends and you were this, you know, woman who speaks on stages. <laughs> and I, I said to you something like, you know, Rachel, Rachel, you come across like you're really thick, but, but I know you're not. And I think that's brilliant because you're not thick at all. And then we realise it on the stage when you speak and you went, Thanks. Oh, I think I made a T-shirt out of it. Do you know, I don't have any memories of that. Yeah. So obviously I didn't, you know. You just block those sorts of people I, out, don't you? Yeah, I was like, who is he? Does he work for the, uh, the theatre? Who's that bloke? <laughs> Never seen curtains. him before. He's in the puffer jacket in the corner of the but, room. No, I love our friendship, Martin. And I think we, we joke a lot about the fact that often we, we talk more on air than we talk in person. But um, I do think sometimes when you have a shared passion around youth ministry, what I love about being part of this community is... 
you do develop friendships that last for a long time. I don't know if you've noticed this, even though you know, the shelf life of being a youth worker is terrifyingly small, often because of how poorly churches manage youth workers. Often people, if they stay within youth ministry, stay for a very long time mm. in the wider community. And so you know people for a really long time mm. and have some of your quite formative life experiences alongside them because you can't be a youth worker and not be fully human can you you have to be like what you have to be who you are it's a deeply relational role so i think our friendship has been salvaged because of the joys of youth ministry oh that's nice you know thinking about youth work the conference because we did that for years do you remember that and there was a gentle listener so rachel you were often the host yeah you often hosted main stage didn't you and then do you remember there was a year when they let me do it and Rachel Heffer. So yeah. still had to have a Rachel. Yeah, me and Rachel Heffer did it. Mm-hmm. And then they never asked us back. In fact, the truth is they tried to replace me halfway through the second one. Because oh it had gone so spectacularly oh badly. So if anyone ever has imposter syndrome or or feels like things have gone badly, uh, <laughs> you know, that just take take light, take heart from this, <laughs> this experience that we've been there. I mean, that is always a challenge with these events, isn't it? Actually, that in many ways, when you're when you go from being a youth pastor to being a host at an event, it's a very different mindset. And I mm. think we do have to deconstruct that a bit and fight, fight the powers a little yeah. bit. So I, my, my hor- horrific youth at the conference story is the first year of leading it after. I know I've shared this before, where we played a Rob Bell film and I thought... I thought everyone was hearing us saying, you brood of vipers. So I walked on like, not you, not you guys. You're not the broods of vipers. And I got into a lot of trouble for that. So I think, no, I'm, I'm not, as an older, uglier, kind of just jaded woman now, I'm, I quite like it when hosts go off piece and kind of don't do it quite so slick and kind of, you know, break the rules a bit. Because I do think we, we do need to break the third wall or fourth wall or fifth wall or whatever it is. Mm. I think I think I speak for the entire youth ministry organisation when I say your hosting on the podcast is absolutely stupendous. Oh, thanks, Rachel. We've never laughed at your nudity stories. They sent me on a course after that. (laughs) Yes, we have a fantastic guest, and these conversations that we're opening up in our episodes—you know, these are big conversations. We've talked about cultural wars. We've talked, but this one is slightly different. This is sort of thinking about not so much cultural war as actually a real war, and um, you know, all the stuff that's been happening in Ukraine and Russia, and we realise that. You might be listening to this at a point where hopefully, God willing, the war is over. But right now, as we're having these conversations, um, it's still going on tragically. And uh, and so we wanted to chat with one of our friends who is a youth pastor, is a church pastor in Austria, a lot closer to the Ukraine border than we are physically here in England. And just to hear some wisdom from him, both a little bit how you might navigate conversations about war and pain and, and trauma, but actually increasingly more how we look after ourselves and respond to crises like this in a way that is genuinely helpful, wise, measured. So an interesting conversation, Martin. It kind of went where we didn't expect it to go, but it's fascinating what Dan David has to say. So this is our, our chat with David Bunce. David, welcome to the Youthscape podcast. Um, obviously, um, we're talking to uh, an Austrian Baptist today. Um, what? What? You're you are not Austrian, are you? No. Uh, kind of listening to one sentence of me talking will give that fact away. I am originally from the UK. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to hide. Yeah. So um, I was going to say, I, I, 
I kind of hoped you were going to say, no, I am Austrian. It's just my name is David Bunce. <laughs> uh, and then we could have got into that. But um, so what, what instead, what, what took you to um, Austria then? Why are you out there? Um, so when I was uh, at university, I did a degree in German and theology. And uh, I did, in the context of that, I interned for a year in a church in Vienna. And I ended up going back to work for that church after I graduated as one of the pastors there. Um, and that was initially for, I don't know, three years or something. And I never quite managed to leave. <laughs> what do they, what do they um, pick out in terms of you as a sort of English characteristic like when people make fun of you sorry sorry to go there straight away and sorry to assume that people make fun of you these are the important questions the assumption the assumption is fair enough yeah but when people make fun of you for being english what do they do what do they say what do they find funny about english culture well uh, there's two things i particularly notice about myself the first one is kind of at this time of year when it's beginning to get warm i am walking down the street in a t-shirt the sun is out it's over 10 degrees this is where uh summer begins and everyone else is still dressed up in their fur coats and their hats and scarves and ski jackets and things like that and i have been told off by old grannies on the street before um, i love that i love so that. that that is definitely one so basically uh, the other thing man. is <laughs> or stupid um <laughs> The other thing is I, I definitely have a British appreciation for personal space. So especially when it kind of comes to a couch, um, like I sit down on the couch and I leave a kind of personal, you know, polite distance to the next person. And I realize at the end of the meeting, then I've gradually been moving further and further and further away from the person I'm sitting next to. Very good. Attempt to kind of give my my bubble more space. Well, that's only that's only right. And so, so tell us um, a little bit about youth ministry in Austria. Then, so we um, we did a we, have. we did a visit to Austria in our we last have. season. But it's good to get We've a different talked perspective. Talked about castles and Vienna and so, yeah, naked people in parks, but not much about youth ministry. So okay. yeah, well, tell us about Austrian youth ministry, David. So um, I. Uh, worked in the Baptist here, and the Baptist Union is small, uh, very small by UK standards, um, and it's part of the Free Churches, which is a very small denomination by UK standards. So if you kind of think how many people were in a field when Soul Survivor was still running in one week, that is more people than there are church members in the denominations that I work for, um, to kind of give some sense, and that, of course, spread across the whole country. Wow. Mm. Um, so I am uh, half-time employed for youth and children's ministry and um, part of what I'm doing is then helping our churches, which are quite small, um, to think about how they do youth work, how they can respond to the challenges um, of a changing culture, changing society, how they can kind of move from a scarcity mindset of what we don't have to kind of then begin to embrace what we do have, um, things like that. So it, it's largely about giving churches courage to try things out yeah and i love following you on social media because you, you're one of those leaders that tells quite a, a really helpful narrative about the challenges of youth ministry in austria but you also put little things up about the, well, the food that you're baking or cooking for the service the next day i had this wonderful sense that the youth ministry and children's ministry you're involved with is quite involved it's all ages it's family on a mission yeah some extent I mean, what certainly in the areas that I 
most involved in and we're trying to bring over 20 years of development and catch up with some of what's happening in the UK and the idea of intergenerational church um, as opposed to kind of segmented churches and that's kind of what I'm pushing wow. a lot wow. so in a sense uh, yeah but that is very much an experiment in progress as things kind of come back to me in two years and say well that's the idea of yes, working out yes. for you. <laughs> We're all there, aren't we? But you also recently wrote a really powerful blog for us for the Youthscape website. Um, and, and that's one of the things we really wanted to talk with you about today, about how to have conversations about conflict and trauma. And in the article, I don't know if people have read it, you need to go and read it. One of the sort of really powerful images you, you write fairly early on is that you could jump in your car and within the same day you could be in Ukraine where just all hell is breaking loose. And just that that sense of, we want to talk to you, David, because obviously where you are, you are so much physically closer. And so mm. the impact is more, maybe more evident quicker. W what are the conversations within your community in Austria about what's happening? Not so much the politics of it, but are you finding that young people are wanting to talk with you or talk with each other about what's happening? Yeah, it's a weird thing that you mentioned, um, especially if you kind of go 100 years back in history, for example, Lviv uh, used to be a city as part of the Austrian Empire. Uh, you know, so historically then there's huge links between Austria and Ukraine and Hungary and the whole area of what used to be the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So it, it does feel very, very close. Um, and especially kind of in post-war Europe, um, the idea of then there being another live war on the European continent is definitely something that feels very, very uh, present. So um, that's, that's definitely a factor. And I think another factor is because it's so close, there is, uh, rightly or wrongly, a sense that it's happening to people like us. Um, it's not always the most helpful thing to, to mm. reflect on, uh, but it definitely it hits people in an emotional way that in this different to previous mm. crises and previous refugee crises. And in your article, you were making some really helpful points about how do we respond and how do we have conversations with young people about trauma in general, but about conflict. Can we stay with the the um, the war in Ukraine? And and how mm -hmm. how are you finding that young people are wanting to talk about it? And what are some of the things that we could be learning from your experience so much closer on the ground? I think one of the big challenges um, is the idea that it's just so present at the moment you know with social media it's a war that's being experienced through twitter through snapchat through instagram um and so uh helping young people to kind of get some sense of distance as well from it not in the sense that we want to be cold to what's happening but you know no human psyche is designed to be um bombarded with new information about the bad things happening in the world at all times mm. Um, and so I think that's definitely a skill uh, that it's good to try and teach young people. And of course, it's a skill that it's good for us to try and remember as well. Uh, I, I think a lot of kind of adults, we kind of split into this Twitter all the time, all constant refresh mindset. And maybe we don't, we're not self-critical about the way that, that we use our uh, devices. Mm. Um, we kind of hope and pray because we record these uh, podcasts, as you may know, a little bit in advance. Um, we sort of hope and pray that by the time uh, people are listening to this, there won't be a live war in Ukraine. But there certainly will be the, um, the sort of effects of war 
and particularly this um, massive yes. refugee crisis that is already has already begun but is going to reach um f further and further and will obviously even reach the uk um and i i guess it's a double-edged thing isn't it i'm glad that we're you know yes. that we're going to be part of that solution but also it's tragic that that it exists at all mm. um mm. how do you think that is going to impact uh the church youth culture young people's conversations you know the idea that we might now be living side by side with refugees in a way that we haven't been um you know there have been refugees mm. dotted around from more far-flung conflicts but this time People are going to see refugees and experience refugees. So what impact do you think that's going to have? And, and how do we need to be ready for that as the church? I think I would take the answer in two directions. Um, I think the first question, the first direction I would take is almost normalizing of the experience of being a refugee. Because, you know, if you think about community and living alongside a community, you don't want someone's worst experience to be the defining label in which you, the, the, you kind of address them with or you kind of see them through. Um, so when you're kind of thinking about that long-term community aspect, um, I think there's an importance then to, to focus on community and not to focus on that person's anomalous status within the community, I guess, um, and the thing that makes them separate. Um, so that's kind of the community aspect. In terms of the church response, um, my my background was in refugee ministry before I entered the world of youth ministry. Um, and so one thing I've been getting very, very nervous about uh, kind of beginning to watch the church response is uh, the kind of level of activism that goes along with it. Um, this, you know, high adrenaline, there's a crisis here, we can put all of our resources uh, on the line and all of our shoulders to the wheel and we can fix it. And that's a response that can kind of very quickly end up in, in burnout or very quickly end up in passion fatigue. Um, and so one of the things that I've been trying to help churches to do is to, to slow that response down um, and to begin right at the ground level of their response to think about what good practices are and what sustainable practice is. And I think in a sense, the UK maybe because it's a lot harder to access the UK as a refugee, the UK has maybe got time to think through some of these issues proactively rather than reactively. Um, and that's definitely something I would encourage churches to do. And do you wanna, could you unpack that a little bit more? So what, powerful, what does it? that maybe yeah. look like? What does a what does a more proactive response look like? I think it's really, really, really interesting. Mm. You said yeah. there's a sort of natural crisis response, mm. you know, let's galvanize the church. Mm. Um, what what yeah. is what is maybe a more healthy response, do you think? Yeah. It's, um, I guess a part of it is the difference between reacting, which is kind of an automatic uh, automatic thing that you do, and responding, which is where you're then thinking about what kind of contribution makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's thinking, for example, about what good rhythms of self-care that we can have for our volunteers so that they are able to be in this for the long haul. Um, it's taking the time to work out what other actors in a local areas, so churches, councils, other um, helping organizations are doing uh, and working out how to join those dots so that you're not replicating something that the social services are doing or replicating something that the local school's doing, um, but instead taking the time to build up those partnerships and work uh, alongside others. It's about um, regularly reviewing what you're doing to work out if it still makes sense. 
I think fundamentally it is posture of realizing it's a huge privilege to be able to serve people in this way, but uh, the need will be there whether or not I'm involved. Uh, and it sounds really clinical to say that, uh, but I'm not actually helping anyone if I break myself in trying to respond uh, to the situation. And so recognizing that that needs there externally to me means that I then feed out, uh, feed up to respond in a way that's actually beneficial yeah. rather than a way that's kind of uh, driven by my own anxiety or driven by my need to respond to like this, you know, the need that you feel in your yes. stomach. We're thinking sort of quite specifically about young people, I suppose, and, and how they experience not only living in a world where this tragically happens and how that's shaping them um but also how they experience the church that they're part of when crisis happens and i love that challenge about um the kind of the savior complex activism it's a really unhelpful you keep keep pressing that button everyone feels guilty and does something but i guess there's a difference between that and the prophetic voice isn't there the voice from the church, from the Christian community that says to the powers that be, open up our doors, let people in, or or this is not okay. Or um, I mean, how do we get that balance right? I'm thinking I'm a church leader of a very small little church on a housing estate in Blackburn where there are refugee families from all around the world. And actually it's reminded us that we have refugees in our midst and it might be a long time before we have Ukrainian refugees. You might they might not yeah. come to this little mill town in the north, they might do. But um, it's made us really aware of, of how we can advocate for them locally, as well as be part of a big message to our central government about opening up the doors. How, how do we get that prophetic voice right? So it's not, again, us being the Messiah complex. What are you, what's your thoughts around that? I think there's maybe an external and internal part to it. Internally, I think it's about paying attention to what's happening in our bodies as we're responding, you know? Uh, I think um, paying attention to your bodies is a really helpful guide to whether you're doing something that's useful or not. If you suddenly feel yourself rushing with adrenaline as you're uh, being prophetic, um, then it's maybe a sign that what you're doing is not sustainable. Um, so it, it's about, you know, do I feel muscle tension? Do I feel it in my shoulders? Do I feel my stomach turning as I'm responding? And if so, maybe that's a warning sign I should pay attention to. Um, so that's kind of the internal thing is, you know, keeping an eye on ourselves. I think externally, one of the things that is maybe interesting to know that I think from outside it's not always clear is that a lot of advocate work, a lot of prophetic work is actually really quite dull. Um, it looks like form filling. It looks like accompanying people down to the court. It looks like you know, advocacy in uh, public policy, which means uh, kind of, taking time to work out what everyone else is doing and that kind of thing. Uh, it's not the sexy, dramatic uh, thing that you can make a West Wing documentary about. Um, and um, I think kind of when you get a sense of what it does look like and what good practice does look like is then um, it also becomes more possible to join in with that kind of stuff because uh, it's something that an ordinary person can do. You know, it doesn't need a superhero uh, to throw everything away to take someone down to uh, to an immigration hearing, for example, um, and to just be there with them. I think that's amazing. Uh, I think if if I was to take one line out of this interview, I'm not telling producer Amy what to do, and uh, and put it on 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 social media. Um, uh, you know, it's that thing about pr prophetic work often looks quite dull because I yeah. think we do conflate mm. prophetic work with you know, the rush of excitement and emotion 
of like the one big mountaintop. Our one chance. You know, this is our one yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, and actually, I love that. That's a rallying call to plodding. That's yes, very good. Which is I like powerful. that. Um, it's your just next book. A rally, <laughs> There you go, David. You can write that one. Great. You rally, cry to plod. Um, so, so you wrote this uh, piece for for Youthscape um, for our blog uh, mm. a, a little while ago, um, and one of the things that you were looking at is caring for the people who are giving the care. So, if you just as we as we close, Ooh. really, have you got any thoughts on you know self care and also how we um, in structures, in denominations, in organizations can make sure we are looking out for and looking after people who are going to be mm. throwing themselves into mm. even more. Because it might be slow and ploddy, but that doesn't mean it's not demanding and draining work. And emotional work, yeah. Um, no, it's a really good question. I, in that article, I have an awesome analogy, which I was really pleased with the edit, which is self-care. We often think of it as being like the kind of the lavender potpourri in the bathroom of the church where actually uh, is the toilet roll. And if you do without self-care, things are going to yeah. get messy. I love that like, illustration. Well, I'm not, not, not sure if uh, that's going to get through, but no. Uh, but actually, I think it's a really important point. Self-care is particularly important when you think you don't have time for it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I'm a big, big advocate, as I know Youthscape is as well, for kind of structural self-care at all levels. You know, you're setting people up through the structures you have in place, setting people up to succeed rather than fail. I think uh, the Youthscape emphasis on theological reflection, for example, is fantastic in what it's doing. I'm a big fan of, especially when you've got people working um, in emotionally difficult uh, situations, things like supervision, um, which is paid for, but it should be paid for by your employer. Or if you've got volunteers, it should be paid for by the church who's having the volunteers. Um, and then also just teaching people practical ways of responding. So, for example, when I'm hearing about a traumatic situation, uh, how can I respond in a way that I don't then take on the trauma myself mm -hmm. uh, and start feeling that trauma? But how can I be present in that yeah. whilst also remaining separate from that? Yeah. You know, there's practical differentiation things. Um, and all of those things, I think, are really, really important and deserve as much time as practicing as then planning the uh the actual practical work that we're going to be doing that's fantastic david thank you and i i would recommend people to go and have a read of your articles i think towards the end of it you get really practical and some key things that people can do both in terms of thinking about caring yeah. for themselves if they're listening and caring for young people who've gone through all kinds of trauma and mm. also if they want to get involved with responding to conflicts like the, the war in ukraine mm. david thank you so much enjoy your beautiful mountains near salzburg yeah, someone's going to live there. <laughs> we love you, David. Bye. So great to hear from David. And if you enjoyed David, he's a very thoughtful man, isn't he? Um, he writes regularly for uh, the Escape blog um, because our wonderful uh, uh, editor, uh, Joe Hartrop, who's been on the podcast, hasn't he? Um, who is he's a little bit like a sort of young Doctor Who. I feel like he'd be a great choice to play he Doctor would. Who one day. Very good. Wouldn't he? Joe Hartrop has enlisted David's help um, and he's writing for us regularly. So you can check out some of his other um, work. And he writes really intelligently on uh, sort of the soul care of the youth worker as well. So there's some great stuff on there. Uh, you can find it at youthscape.co.uk uh, and then under services, you'll find something called Youth Work News, which is the name of our blog. 
Um, so check that out. Or often the latest posts are right there on the homepage, youthscape.co.uk. Um, it's worth saying there is a new look Youthscape website coming soon. Uh, even though we've already got one lovely looking Youthscape it website. a new one before. Yeah, we're just going to make it a little bit more new. sort of navigatable. Uh, is that a word? Navigable. Navigable. It's navigable, it isn't it? It feels like a word that would be navigable and then a quick at the end, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Hmm. Watch this space. We will both be able to tell you more information about the website and that word. Yeah, at least how to pronounce that word. That word. Uh, Rach. Yeah. We are having quite a serious season of the podcast, talking yeah. about big yeah. things. And that's really good that we're doing that. But I think we shouldn't lose track of the fact that we like to... I mean, we did waffle on the first half of this podcast. It, to be fair. it was quite a But we do like fun time. and we yes. do like to enjoy ourselves. And we often talk at least once a season about our current Netflix obsession. And for Ooh. once, it's the same obsession. Yes, it is. I'm excited. Yes. Okay, because the thing that we are both watching is... Is it cake? Is it cake? <laughs> Oh my goodness! I can't remember any of the contestants' name, but the no. lovely guy with the blue hair died. Blue hair. So if you, it, I think it was like number two on Netflix, oh, like from when fantastic. it launched. So, so I think many people have seen this thing. If you haven't seen it, it's essentially a group of very clever, oh my kind of goodness. bakers, ices, artists, aren't yeah, they? and they make cakes that look like things, everyday objects, and then you have to guess whether the thing that's on the podium yes. is a cake. Or the everyday object. Yeah. And, and so this is like tacos. Yeah. And, and shoes. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary stuff. The, amazing. Uh, bags of wheat. Yes. Extraordinary. And, and yeah. And and so they um so they make things like hats. And so you'll have They're five. Just objects. Yeah, no, no. You'll have five <laughs> hats radiators. on on the po- yes. <laughs> radiators. Five uh, hats on the, on the podiums. And you, and these this little one, panel of judges yeah. has to work out which one's cake, and they never get it right. And they're quite fun judges, aren't they? Yeah, like they are fun. Edgy food critics, or kind they of are. like B-roll kind of comedians. They're quite funny. They're, they're like people cake. that I feel like if we were edgy Americans, we'd know who they were. Yes. But we're not edgy or Americans. No. So it is a brilliant, literally a slice of life. I mean, it is yeah. a wonderful group of people that you that I don't know anybody that makes cakes like that. And it's hosted by this amazing guy who's like Jim Carrey. <laughs> He's like I the new Jim, he's Carrey. Like Jim Carrey. He's so good. He's hilarious. Yes, he is hilarious. Uh, and it's inspired. But we can't remember his name. No, but he's brilliant. Or any of their names. Why does why does this dead simple formula work? I mean, they are given eight hours to make the cake. Yes. And I mean, it's it is slow and it is yeah. drawn out and it is. Why does it work? Well, isn't there something interesting about that? Look, we're finding meaning. Yes. Uh, isn't there something interesting in a generation that loves TikTok, that loves quick fire, that doesn't like you know long form things yeah. allegedly? Yeah, and I was having a conversation just this morning about how young people, you know, might struggle to engage with the theatre because it's long form, okay. and and so people are looking for ways of engaging shorter form. But actually. Is it cake? It's all about things taking time. Very long time and intricate detail. And they have honed their skills. Like most of these people are self-taught, aren't they? Oh, yeah. The number of them that said, I started doing this in yeah. lockdown as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And my, so my daughter, who's 10, adores it. Yeah, and, my kids like and, it. And she now goes into the kitchen and she tries to make things. I mean, they don't, they don't look anything like yeah. what they're supposed to. <laughs> so right. me and Jay's like, Ooh, is, it, <laughs> is it cake? Is it a real burger <laughs> or is it that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I love it that it's really fired her yeah, imagination. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I mean, maybe that's this is the really profound thing, isn't it? That that could be that. Yes. That you look at something that l- your eyes tell you it's that, but it could be something completely different. And isn't that actually the heart of discipleship is that you you can look at something 
completely differently. Mm. So you think it's that way, but it could be something else. Well, I love that, that mystery. No, we adore it. We Have you just turned that into a gospel illustration? Well, slightly. Oh, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Is this the gospel? I mean, there we go. Yeah. I'd get my conservative... And you try and you get a Bible and you try and cut it with a knife. It's a sword, isn't it? It's a massive sword that he uses. I but, love but it. there's something lovely about the fact that it's it's in a world that's become obsessed with yeah, massive things yeah. and being famous and yeah. you know instant fame and all that stuff. It's about slow, small, intricate craft. Yeah. You know, you're just you're just trying to create one cake and make it look nice. But also, what do they all say? The cake has to be delicious. Oh yes. So it's not just about how it looks. Mm. These guys, first and foremost, want you to enjoy the cake you're eating. And isn't that a metaphor and for youth ministry? That's a metaphor for youth ministry. That's what's inside. Yes. Pay attention, not just to what's in the looks. Yeah. No, I love it. I love that. I mean, oh, I want to go watch more episodes now. Is it a podcast? I'm not sure. <laughs> Let's get a knife out. Goodbye.
word. That would be good. Take care, lovely people. We love you. Oh, is that it? Oh, I thought it was. No, we're doing more than that. Oh, me. Did you just try and finish there? <laughs> I want to let them go. That's not the end. Lives to lead. No. We've got people to feed. Come back. Do words to work that out. That was words literally just play. like we just finished the interview. <laughs> we waffle on for ages now. I thought we decided that we wouldn't waffle on for ages. No, not but because we put them through a lot. Like two okay. No, Amy right. said. Right. Here's some more people. Yeah. Here is some more. So stick with us. Where are we going now, Martin? I don't know. I didn't know I was going to say <laughs> the other stuff. It just pops out.
Yeah, tell us more. about naked people in parks. Yeah, that's that's my story of taking my two nephews. I need to go. My brother did what you did, ended up in Vienna, and then met someone, fell in love, had kids. I went out as the auntie, the cool auntie from London, took my little nephews to a park in Vienna where there were a large number of people wearing socks and sandals and nothing else. And I was just standing out as the prudish British woman that's going, get some clothes on, cover your eyes. And I had a very good conversation with Austrian friends about the difference between British sensibilities and Austrian sensibilities. Yeah, I mean, my, my colleague in the church I worked in Vienna, one of the other pastors there, um, spent his 20s lifeguarding at a naked beach. <laughs> um, so. so just in, in, um. in some effort to get this interview back on track, um, what...
So, um, so what are you doing later? <laughs> what What's fun in in Rygate? Have we run world? out? Have we li- Have we finally <laughs> run out of things to talk about? I think we've got to the end of Netflix. That's it. We're That's done. it. We've completed. We could talk about podcast. the new season of Bridgerton, but let's leave it there. I don't we? listen to it. it I don't it's watch Bridgerton. No, it's, uh, it's uh, no. Let's find. Th- what are we going to talk about? Well, I don't Okay. Such a shame. It's quite funny. <laughs> that was quite funny. Yes. I don't know whether you can leave a bit of that in. Maybe I'll try. Just um, I'll just cut that out. <laughs> 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 I'll try, Martin. No. That's gone. Um, you could oh no! Can I talk about my new get my new Netflix obsession? I'm sorry, I completely right lost this. Is it cake? Oh, we love it. Yeah, yeah. Cake. Let's talk about is it cake? We love is okay, it cake. Don't worry, we'll do it. It needs something soft yes, off the back of this. Great, great. Yeah, okay, so. But at least uh, some of the, just, if you can leave you some could, of that in. Yeah, you could just do a bit of a like reflection on like, okay, we're having all these good conversations. Yeah. We also need to yeah, yeah. chill sometimes. Well, yeah. Or I could just say, do you want a bit of cake? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do her idea. <laughs> <laughs>